Thank you again for joining us online for this worship service. And uh, I guess a great verse that could describe our situation in this uh, state right now would be Isaiah 26, verse 20. Here's what it says. Come, my people, enter your chambers, shut your doors behind you, hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed by. I'm going to continue in our study of Isaiah in a few minutes as we turn the corner today and begin chapter 43. Now would be a good time to get a Bible and make your way to Isaiah chapter 43, maybe get some paper and a pencil to take notes. Uh, You might find something helpful in today's message. But first, a timely bit of humor to start our day. We all need a purpose in life. And there was a young man who, when he was young, wanted to become a great writer. And when someone asked him to describe what a great writer is, he said, I want to write stuff that the whole world will read, stuff that people will react to on an emotional level, stuff that will make them scream and cry and howl in pain and anger. And you know what? This young man did it. He now works for the IRS writing tax regulations. Okay, all right, now calm down. That's enough, thank you, but it's just not that funny, okay? So we need to get on with the message today, but on a spiritual level, it's important for us to know the purpose God has for us, his people, during times of adversity like the one we're in. And that is exactly what Isaiah talks about in Isaiah chapter 43. I'm actually amazed, I shouldn't be, but I'm amazed at how these messages in Isaiah we're looking at are particularly relevant for the times in which we're living right now. It's almost as if God planned it that way. Last time in Isaiah chapter 42, we saw how God uses adversity in our life to expose the idols in our heart the things we trust in, rely on, and honor more than we do the living God. And last time, God was telling his covenant people that he was working in their lives through their adversity to do three things. First, to overturn their idols that they served, uh, to show them that their idols can't help them. Just like he overturned the false gods in Egypt through the ten plagues he brought, This virus pandemic really is overturning and rendering helpless many of our cultural idols in the present day. Idols of wealth, careers, entertainment, sports, and the list goes on and on. They can't help us during this time. Second, one reason God is exposing the powerlessness of our idols is to restore our intimacy with him, to draw us to him who is is in control. And the third thing we saw last time was that God was working to emphasize the importance of listening to what he's saying so that we might receive comfort and strength as we go through adversity. When we came to the end of chapter 42, we saw that even after all God was doing to restore people to himself, they still were not listening to him. But today, as we turn the corner, we see that in addition to affliction, God gives his people something else as we go through adversity. His comfort, his love, 
and his purpose for them as they go through the trouble. The passage we're looking at today is a rather long section. It's Isaiah 43, uh, 1 to 21. I'm just going to read a small part at a time, beginning with chapter 43, verses 1 to 7. But now, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have given Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in your place, since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you. I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. So do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west. I'll say to the north, give them up. To the south, don't hold them back. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the ends of the earth, and everyone who is called by my name and whom I've created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. God has some encouraging things to say to us, even as we face adversities he allows. And if you're taking notes today, I've got three headings that we're going to follow. First, God is with us through our trouble. Second, God has a purpose in our trouble. And third, everything God does serves his purposes. Let's begin with this truth. God is with us through our trouble. Notice as we move from chapter 42 to 43, there's quite a change in tone. Uh, but now, chapter 43 begins, but now, says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear. I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. Ironically, because we're in a covenant relationship with the living God, we don't have to be afraid of the adversity he allows to come. God says that he made us, he redeemed us, he calls us by name, and if we're in covenant with him, we belong to him. And even though God is allowing the adversity, trouble, disappointment, and sorrow, he says he's not going to abandon us. In fact, just the opposite. He'll be right there with us in the adversity. Verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they won't overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. Waters, rivers, fire, coronavirus, whatever we go through, he is with us. In a mysterious way, really, our troubles are meant not only to wean us away from our idols, they are intended to move us closer and deeper with our God. As the psalmist said in Psalm 119, 67 and 71, the psalmist says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. And again, in verse 71, he says, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. To help us know that, God wants his people to remember some important truths we see next in chapter 43, verses 3 and 4, when life may turn against us. He says, For I am the Lord your God, 
the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Since you are precious in my sight, you are honored. I love you. I'll give other men in your place, other peoples in exchange for your life. He's our God, he says. He's our Savior. We are precious in his sight, and he loves and honors us, and God will use us in the lives of others. How then should we respond when trouble comes? Isaiah tells us next that we should focus on letting God accomplish his good purposes in our lives as we go through the troubles. What is God's purpose in our problems? Well, God allows problems in our life for many reasons, as the scriptures tell us. But his reasons are all good and are designed to accomplish good things in our lives. For example, in Hebrews chapter 12 of the New Testament, verses 10 and 11, talking about the Lord's discipline in our life, adversity or trouble, this is what the writer says, for they, earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You know, if you heard those elements in there. First, God uses adversity to train and equip us to apply what he said in his words so that we may be holy like him and to make things right in our life that aren't right. That's what righteousness means. And when we do, we listen and we're being trained by his word, it results in shalom. It says God's peace. But to see that happen, we must pay attention. Second, God also uses his adversity, as you know, to test and purify our faith. It's when we're in hot water that we see what's really in our hearts, how we respond. That's when faith is tested, when it's hard. And so 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 says this, In this you greatly rejoice, even though for, for now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor and the revelation of Jesus Christ. There are actually many other reasons the scripture teaches that God uses adversity in our life for good. But let me sum them all up from what we read in the book of Job, God's purposes, Job relates to us what he does in the world uh, under three general headings, three reasons God allows adversity in his world, in our lives. Here's what it says in Job chapter 37, 10 to 13. From the breath of God, ice is made, and the expanse of the waters is frozen. Also with moisture, he loads the thick cloud, he disperses the cloud of his lightning. God's doing all these things. It changes direction, turning around by his guidance, that it may do whatever he commands on the face of the inhabitant earth. Everything that's happening, he's in control. He's doing it. And then verse 13 says, whether for correction or for his world, 
but for loving kindness, he causes it to happen. Sometimes God uses troubles for correction, to make things right that aren't right. Sometimes, he says, God works for the benefit of the world in some way through the adversity. Sometimes what God is, is simply an expression of his love in one way or another for us. But whatever he does, whatever he allows, it's always for good. Back in Isaiah 43, in addition to all of these, Isaiah highlights one other purpose God has in allowing trouble in the life of his people. God takes us through trouble so we can be God's witnesses to those who don't believe in him. Let me read the passage, and then we'll talk about it for just a minute. As we continue in Isaiah 43, verses 8 to 13, God says, Bring out the people who are blind, even though they've got eyes, and the deaf, even though they've got ears. All the nations have gathered together so that the peoples may be assembled. Now who among them can declare this and proclaim us the former things? Let them present their witnesses that they may be justified. Or let them hear and say, it's true. But you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I've chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he before me. There, there was no God formed, and none will be after me. I, even I am the Lord, there is no Savior besides me. It is I have declared and saved and proclaimed, and there was no strange God among you, so you, my people, are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God, even from eternity I am he, and there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? God invites us first there to bring out the people who are spiritually blind and deaf. In other words, they don't believe in God, the God of Israel. He says, bring the nations and let them bring their witnesses and assert what they think is true and justify what they believe in. Then let my people come forward as God's witnesses so that they may know and believe in the true God. See, as we go through trouble, we are the Lord's witnesses to the fact that God is real and present in this world. There is no other God, and none other is coming, he says. We testify so that the people may know there's no Savior besides the true living God of the Bible, verse 10. Do you see what God is saying here? He takes us through adversity, <clears throat> first for our own good, and second to demonstrate the truth of his existence to those who don't know him. How? by our response to the adversity. Consider the three men who once served as God's witnesses as they went through adversity with the Lord. In the book of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon made a huge idol, and he commanded everyone present to bow down to it under penalty of death by being thrown into a blazing furnace. If you remember the story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego Jewish believers in the one true God, stood before King Nebuchadnezzar and refused to bow down to the idol. They said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, 
Let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Well, as you can imagine, and remember, in Daniel 3, King Nebuchadnezzar was insulted, and this is what happened next. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath. His facial expression was altered toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. He commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. They were cast into the blazing fire, but God was with them as they passed through the fire. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste, and he said to his high officials, was, was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? And they replied to the king, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men loosed and walking among, about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. When it was all said and done, their response to the adversity, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their response to the adversity convinced the ones serving idols that the God of Israel was the true and living God. Listen to what Nebuchadnezzar does next. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God. Come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, and yielded up their bodies so as to serve, not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap, inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. How the story would have been different if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had reacted to this in fear and bowed down to the cultural idol and became hoarders of self-interest instead of living witnesses for the living God. How the story would have been different. You see, the purpose God has for his people, listen to me, is always to be his witnesses to those who don't believe, no matter what we're going through. It's always the case, whether it's good times or bad. He's called us as his people to be his witnesses, no matter what. Peter echoes this in his first letter, chapter 2, verse 9. He says to those who believed in Jesus, you are a chosen people, just like Israel. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now the passage in Isaiah, chapter 43, ends with a final note of encouragement. Verses 13 to 15, God says, Even from eternity I am he, and there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act, and who can reverse it? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I've sent to Babylon, 
And I'll bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans, into the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. God is saying, I am uncreated, all-powerful, and sovereign in the universe. And everything he does serves to accomplish his purpose, even our adversity. This is true even if evil has its day. As Joseph said to his brothers in Genesis 50, verse 20, brothers who betrayed him, sold him into slavery, Joseph said to them, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. That's how God is. That's how he works. It's, he's always going to accomplish a good purpose in whatever we're going through. In addition, all that God does in the end serves his glory and the benefit of God's people. Isaiah 43, verse 20. God says, the beasts of the field will glorify me. The jackals and the ostriches, because I've given waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert in order to give drink to my chosen people. For his glory and the benefit of his people. And when it's all said and done, everything and everyone on earth will declare his glory, that he has done good. Verse 21, the people whom I formed for myself will declare my praise. Not one of us will say, what have you done, God? Why did you do this? It wasn't right. Not one of us will. We'll all say, you, to you be the glory for everything you've done. We often struggle in our faith when we're going through adversity. <clears throat> God's people always have. But listen, God has given us his word so that we can make some sense out of what is going on for his people and giving us good reasons the sovereign God allows adversity and events to happen in our lives. We need to cling to these words. But there are three lessons I'd like to leave you with today from this message, and the first one is the importance to listen to God. When we're in trouble, the first question we should ask is not a bewildered why, but a searching what. What is God trying to tell me? <laughs> what, what does God want me to know? What does God want me to do? Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 says, that the psalmist David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Is there sin in my life I need to confess? Is there fear I need to trust God through? Is this an opportunity to experience God's grace or be a witness for him? Lesson two. Remember, we are not alone through the adversities we go through. God promises us. Here's one place in Isaiah 43. He promises to go with us and be with us through every trial. He's with us all the time, but in a special sense, when we're in trouble. That's the point of Isaiah 43. And in lesson three, <clears throat> probably the most important, God has spared us from the greatest adversity we could ever face. When Jesus Christ took the penalty by dying on the cross for our sins, we deserve that. 
He experienced the horror of hell we were destined for. But when we believed in Jesus to save us and give us eternal life, we were spared, redeemed from an eternal torment and given life instead, life eternal, and the righteousness that was his. And now, every adversity we face is an opportunity for us, as the Apostle Paul said, to actually share in Christ's sufferings and to know him more intimately, who suffered for us. It's also an opportunity to share with others that Jesus is real. We know so. He's with us. He helps us. That Jesus loves them and died for them, just as he has for us. And so as we conclude, may you continue to draw closer to him in these days of trial, closer to his word, living lives that bring glory and honor to him who saved us by his grace. We're going to continue to worship together.